This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 201. And the quote of the day is from Dennis Dildero, who said, Only passions, great passions, can elevate the soul to great things. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. I got to get used to saying 200 and something because I've been saying 100 for so long and kind of tripped up there in the beginning. Anyway, I hope you had a great weekend. And for some of you who got my email, I mistakenly thought that this weekend was Labor Day weekend in the United States and it's next weekend. So if you're wondering what that email was all about, Sorry, I got my dates mixed up. But if you're wondering what email I'm talking about, you should sign up for the email list. You can go to drummersresource.com and sign up for the email list and you will get a copy of my ebook, Stick Control Variations, which is 11 creative exercises that will help you with your speed, your independence, your dexterity and things like that. It's 100% free. Just sign up for the email list and you'll get it automatically Also, we're still holding a giveaway for the 200th session that we did. So I teamed up with Promark and Evans and DW and LP Percussion and Drum Magazine. And there's a bunch of great prizes, including a snare drum from DW and an LP cowbell and both signed by Frank Ferrer, drummer from Guns N' Roses. And like I said, sticks and heads and all kinds of stuff. And you can go to drummersresource.com forward slash giveaway to sign up for that. And again, 100% free. Just head over there, drummersresource.com forward slash giveaway. Now let's get into this interview. This is with Andres Ferrero, and he was just on the cover of Modern Drummer Magazine. And for those of you who don't know who he is, uh, he is currently the drummer for Hamilton, the smash Broadway hit that is that is happening right now, and has also played in a bunch of different Broadway things and has played with a slew of amazing artists and a very insightful interview. And he has some great stories to tell his first gig, uh, his first real gig that he had. He has an amazing story about that and uh, some some really cool stuff about it. a drum, his first drum kit. And, and there's just. This is just a really cool interview. There's a lot of good information. There's a lot of good stories. And he's a super nice, super humble guy. So I'm glad we could hook this up. And plus, he's my neighbor, which is kind of cool, too. So not my neighbor, but he lives close enough to me. Anyway, let's get into it with Andres Ferrero. Andres, what's happening, man? How are you? Nick, how are you, man? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well, man. Thank you so much for doing. This is cool. We're, we, you know, we're we're neighbors. We are. So I like having uh, I like having my neighborhood folk on here. <laughs> I'm grateful, man. Thank you so much. And well, oh, you're welcome. Thanks for doing it. One thing I will say, I've never had a Tony, Grammy, and Emmy nominated person on the show, which I think is an an amazing feat. And uh, so, congratulations on that. And we're gonna get all into that and and talk about uh, your your career, the history, and and a bunch of other things, because I have a, a bunch of questions for you. So, uh, but let's start off just a little bit of of backstory, just so the audience can get a, a better feel for who you are and what you do. I know that you were recently on the cover of Modern Drummer, and I know that a large uh, percentage of the audience that's listening knows who you are. But for some people who don't, let's just build a little context for them. Uh, sure. Um, I grew up in a small little town in upstate New York called Rochester, New York. And um, I was surrounded, uh, you know, I have three older brothers and an older sister. That, That's where Steve Gadd's from. 
That's right, yeah. Steve. Add there's a ton of great musicians there, um, and uh, you know my my family. You know they had all very diverse tastes in music, so I was very lucky to grow up listening to music from where my family comes from, which is Colombia, South America. A lot of classical music, and uh, then my brothers and my sister uh, all had tastes in music from the Ohio Players to Pink Floyd to Rush. Uh, the police, etc. So um, I grew up listening to so many different kinds of music that uh, um, that sort of shaped me quite a bit, uh, you know, my, my musical palette anyway. So what age did you start playing? Well, I was interested in music very, very early on, and um, but I was interested in uh, piano, really, and the guitar. Um, but I really started playing the drums, uh, you know, like when I was seven, eight, nine years old. Um, but I, uh, I was already sort of active at that point in my life uh, musically. And um, I had been tooling around with them, you know, uh, a little bit, but we didn't have anything, any drums at home. But we had stuff at school. Uh, so I joined whatever I could in the schools and uh, whatever I could play I played there, um, but I always had a love for music uh, since I was very, very, very little. So, hmm. so there's a. I know that there's an interesting story that you've told before about your first drum set, about how you wanted to get this drum set that was for sale. Someone bought the drum set for you, and then you recently donated that drum set to somebody else, didn't you? Uh, yeah. So um, that's kind of the story. So I was in high school, and my music teacher Ned Corman, um, who is a mentor to me, um, he had posted for a former student, Jeff Penny, uh, had posted uh, this for sale drum set uh, on a clipboard uh, as you entered the band room. And I would just sit and stare at it. And at this point, I had started already checking out uh, lots of different styles of music. And jazz was something that Ned introduced uh, me into. Um, and uh, there was sort of a classical jazz drum set there, which was an 18-inch bass drum, a 12-inch tom, and a 14-inch tom. And it had many more drums and cases and hardware and all that stuff. But it was so expensive, there was just no way. I mean, it was one of those things like, you know, now as an adult, you know, we stare at very expensive cars or mm -hmm. things of that nature that we, we dream to have. And so I think some time had gone by and it was still up and he saw me looking at it and um, he just came in and said, Hey, listen, you know, uh, do you like that drum set? And I said, yeah. He's like, well, maybe one day you'll have, you'll have something like that. And, you know, not too long after that, uh, a letter came in the mail with a check accompanied with it saying, uh, you know, my wife and I would like to, um, to purchase this for you. We believe in you and, uh, we believe in your talent and, uh, uh, we don't want you to pay us back. We just want you to, you know, take the drums and 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 really practice hard and and, and enjoy them. And uh, you know, my, my mom and I talked about it very briefly, and we were shocked by that generosity. Um, and we went to his house and went to return it and say thank you, but we can't accept it. But he wouldn't take no for an answer. Uh, so he picked me up one day, and we went and picked up the drums and. Uh, uh, much fast forward later to when I'd gotten an endorsement with uh, another company, um, I, uh, I realized I couldn't use the drums anymore. Um, and it seemed the right thing to do anyway, to give it back. And uh, so he got in touch with Jeff and uh, 
the, the idea to, to find a student that was worthy of, of that with talent and, um, you know, the, the person that they were uh, was sort of the next project. But uh, Jeff was, was really eager to get those, his original drums back. I mean, so many years had gone by and mm -hmm. those were his original drums. So you can imagine that sort of reunion for him was quite special. Uh, so he took his uh, new set of Yamaha drums and he donated those drums to a, a, a student of choice. Uh, so it was really a great, um, a great moment, but that was quite some time ago already. And uh, I would love to know who, who that person was and what, you know, if, if they ended up playing or in the end, it didn't really matter if they did or not. It was just right. a, a way to, to sort of give back and, and it was a cool, a cool thing to be a part of, and, uh, and an incredible gesture on on my music teacher and his wife's part for me. So that sh certainly shaped me quite a bit. So, do you think that, well, at the time, you know, where would you say your skill level was? Was it sort of like, okay, this guy's got something here, and we want to sort of, we want to sort of foster that that talent, or do you think that it was, it just happened to happen by chance, and then from there you sort of developed the talent? No, I mean, I think they definitely, they, uh, they saw something, uh, in me and, um, I, I, I knew that I knew early on in my life that, you know, uh, I was, I think I was meant to do this. You know, I believe that I, I uh, I'm not very good at doing too many other things. So, <laughs> uh, but you know, it, it, it was, I think it was a lot of different things. You know, I think it was two really generous people, um, that saw talent in, uh, a, a, you know, a young, uh, student. And, um, and, and I think part of it was my eagerness to really improve and get better. And, and, and I think it was a lot of passion for music that I showed very early on, whether I would go on to, to do anything with it, uh, wasn't a stipulation. Uh, the stipulation was to enjoy them, to do whatever I wanted to do, but to, to enjoy that instrument uh, and and practice as much as I could, uh, but there was there was definitely no pressure, and I never felt that, and um, and that, I think that was the greatest gift uh, in the end was was knowing that you know either way, whichever way I ended up going, it was okay musically. So, so was there a point where you said to yourself, okay, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do as a career. There's sort of nothing else that I that I want to do, or was that a natural progression that happened? Uh, no, I pretty much, I think I knew that uh, early on in my, in my life. I knew that it, it was just something that I understood, uh, and I, I just loved music. I loved listening to it. Um, I could sit for hours and, and uh, you know, watch uh, classical concerts and watch uh, this uh, Canadian pianist, Glenn Gould, play. I mean, I just was infatuated with, with him and what he was doing. Um, so yeah, I think I knew pretty early on that that was sort of my, my calling. Um, but I also knew with that came a lot of work. Um, I just sort of had a, a bit of an uphill battle, not having the resources when I was much younger, but you know, I mean, I, I'm not unique in that sense. There's so many people that have started out that way that didn't have very much, but they made uh, you know, they were able to make it happen by using books or, uh, you know, the, the, um, 
pots and pans, that whole thing. I mean, for so me, when you was, say resources, are you saying specifically monetary resources or just resources in general? All of it. Yeah. So monetary that would then lead to having an instrument. I mean, all of that was sort of lacking uh, for us. And um, but it was OK. You know, we, we, we figured out a way to make it work. My sister had a ton of books she loved to read. So I, I would go into her room and I'd get, you know, the smallest book to the biggest book, because that's the visual that I had from watching Rush videos, mm-hmm. uh, VHS tapes that I had. And I, I, I fell in love with with that band. My brother. um my brothers left me a, uh, a record when they went off to, to do whatever they were going to do uh, as adults. And it was Permanent Waves. And uh, in that album, they had had uh, for a long time, uh, at least uh, 10, 11 years before I got it. Right. And um, so it was, it was, that was very special for me. And that was the thing that I sort of, I listened to it over and over and over and over again. And uh, so, you know, I, I, would use the floor as the bass drum, whatever the lowest sound was that I could, I could create. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of how I did, you know, I played. And then my poor mom, you know, I would make my mom sit and watch me air drum or play on the couch to the VHS tapes. I mean, I probably went through three of the exit stage left the VHS tapes. Right. I did the same thing with, with uh, Carter Beaufort's Under the Table and Drumming. Oh yeah, VHS just like literally had to buy two or three copies of it because this the tape worn out. That's amazing. Yeah, so, <laughs> so you understand. I mean, it was one of those things that you know, uh, I uh, I gravitated to that uh, that band, um, but many other many other bands, but that band in particular uh, was very special to me uh, growing up, and um, and you know that. It gave me a lot of uh, a lot of inspiration, and um, you know, I really sort of credit them uh, for a lot of things that you know that I would later do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so. funny that that you have, you know, you and I both have sort of that thing where I look at Dave Matthews' band the same way. Although I don't listen to Dave Matthews' band as much as I used to, right? Uh, but growing up, I mean, I really just. You know, I feel like Carter Beaufort taught me how to play drums. And the the one thing that stuck out to me where you're saying I use the lowest floor tom for the, you know, for the kick drum and all that stuff. I mean, I remember playing. I remember I had a, a kick drum and I would play on the rim of the kick as the hi-hat and I had a chair next to me and that was my snare. <laughs> you know, like I, yeah. and I and I think it's if if you're that dedicated and you're you're that into it and you have that much love and passion for it it sort of doesn't matter what you're playing, you know, in the beginning, it's just, you're just there doing it. And, and I don't want to say going through the motions, but you're, you're playing and, and, and you sort of make these things work. That's true. Yeah. And, and I think that goes for, for anything, you know, whether it's Mm -hmm. horseback riding or whatever you're into sports, you know, soccer, football, whatever your passion is. And, and I think that if you find that sweet spot, uh, inside of yourself and within the music, um, the outcome really doesn't matter in the end, you know, at that age, uh, what, what matters is that you're gaining something that's, uh, I believe bigger than we are, you know, there's Mm -hmm. something there metaphysical. That's really wonderful that you get to, you get to, to take from the music or from the joy of riding a horse or from playing a sport or something like that. And, uh, that, that's a great way to sort of grow up, you know, Mm -hmm. to have some, there are a lot of people that don't don't have the, 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 the chance to find that 
moment in, in something, you know, I know a lot of people that have said to me, they're like, well, I never, I was just never good at music or I, I never, I actually never had a chance to play an instrument or I never tried to sing. And, you know, that it's incredible to me that, but there's a lot of people that have that because, you know, everyone's path is different. Um, but I, I believe that it's never too late. You know, mm -hmm. I really think that, um, that you can, you can find that no matter how old you are. So I, I agree with you on that. You know, it's funny. Uh, we had mentioned Billy Martin before we got on air yeah. and Billy and I had a conversation about, you know, if, if you're whatever age you are, if you're either you've been playing an instrument for years or you decide to pick something up and, and you want to play, it doesn't necessarily matter what level you're playing at to either quote unquote be successful or to quote unquote be fulfilled from this thing. So just because you're not traveling around in a tour bus playing in front of 20,000 people doesn't mean that you're not a legitimate musician. And, you know, or if you're not doing it full time and you actually have a, a day gig, that doesn't mean that you're not a, a, a legitimate musician. Absolutely. You know, and I think that sometimes people, you know, I, I don't know what it is, but maybe it's like, well, if I can't do it, if I can't do it full time, then, then I haven't really achieved success. And I just think that's a bad, that's a crappy way of looking at it. I agree. I mean, that, but you know, that, that comes with, uh, you know, that's, that's been something that has been instilled in, in folks for such a long time. You know, uh, I'd like to think that maybe that's changed a little bit and improved since I was a kid, but you know, um, I don't know. I, I, I know a lot of people that, you know, a lot of, I have a friend who's a doctor. Uh, he, he's, you know, uh, one of the most uh, important vascular surgeons, and he's an incredible drummer. Um, and uh, so, you know, it, it doesn't, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be defined by how much you do it or whether you get paid to do it or not. Uh, in the end, you know, it's, it's something that you should do for, for yourself. And, and, and if it makes you happy that in the end, that's the greatest reward of it. You know, if it gives you some joy and uh, there's an escape to music, you know, mm -hmm. it's like me driving an old car, you know, I love old cars. So if I get an old car, if I get in like an old Porsche, you know, from like the sixties um, or even the seventies, there's just something about it that just puts me in a different place. And it's very personal. And it's, uh, it's something that you almost can't explain. Mm -hmm. um, it's you, something you just, you do. And it's, uh, it's so wonderful. So, uh, you know, I don't see that music should be any different than that. You mm -hmm. know? So I think sometimes we often get caught up and I'm guilty of this too, of, of being defined by things by saying, you know, okay, I'm, I have to, I'm, I'm just a drummer and that's all I am. And I, you know, I, if I'm not just a drummer, then then I'm I'm not legitimate or I'm not, you know, and I'm like, well, you know, for me, I'm different. I'm, I'm a drummer, but I'm also a businessman. And I, you know, and I, I like both of those things equally. And, you know, for years I thought I sort of had to choose one or the other. Yeah. And, and then I realized, no, I, I don't, I can still tour and I can still play at a high level, but I can still run and build businesses too. And I can do those at the same time because that's who I am. True. Yeah. I have a buddy, Gary Engrafia, who works uh, at uh, KHS uh, Sonar in, in America. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, he, he's an incredible uh, artist relations and uh, he handles a lot of things for Sonar and Mapex there. And, um, but he's also in one of the most 
important uh, ACDC cover bands that there is. I mean, these guys travel and they play like big, huge uh, arenas, you know, and they mm -hmm. do very important and they get paid very well to do it. Uh, same with my friend, John, who's a doctor. He's in one of the, the, the best Eagles uh, tribute bands and they work a lot and they, they get paid quite well to do it. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you, you sort of find your, you know, what makes you happy. And uh, if doing that, and, and you happen to, to, to make money doing it, great. If you just sit in your basement and practice, that's great too. My big dilemma is that I love the guitar. Uh, it's, it, the guitar for me is like a, a, almost a, um, a sickness, like a passion. Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, I, I, I have guitars that, you know, I've been collecting for years. And um, once I got through with that part of it, I decided, well, I really need to start learning the ins and outs of the mechanics of a Fender guitar as opposed to a Gibson guitar. And, um, it, you know, it, it's something that I struggle with because I'm thinking, oh, my God, I should probably be downstairs practicing the drums, you know. <laughs> so it's like I, I go through that in, a, in maybe on a different in a different way. But right. I mean, do you play well? Um, well, <laughs> I, I, I'm. I don't think I do, um, but I enjoy it and it doesn't matter. You know, I, I, mm. it, it's such an incredible, uh, Nick, it, for me, it's such a wonderful thing to just go in a room, plug in an old guitar from the fifties and play through a, a Fender amp from the sixties and have yeah. all these incredible old tube pedals or, uh, analog pedals or whatever. And th there, for me, there's just something about it. And there's a science to those instruments that I'm addicted to, you know, the yeah. fact that a guy took a piece of wood and figured out the electronics and a couple pieces of metal and some strings. And all of a sudden here's this incredible instrument and yep. the possibilities are endless on it. Mm -hmm. Now th the same could be said about, uh, about a drum set, you know, mm -hmm. and, I, and I love that about the drums, but uh, there's something about, I think the, the physics and the science behind the guitar that gets me a little, a little more than than the physics and science behind the drum set. Sure, sure. So, so I battle with that as well. Right. And so we've we've sort of talked about all of the uh, all the the mental side of things, but I want to ask you, I guess, some tactical questions too about uh, a little bit about maybe you growing up and and practice routines maybe then versus now and and the reason why i i want to well a couple of reasons why i want to ask you this one everybody practices differently and and i think that the listeners can pull pieces out of each person that i interview and how they practice and sort of put that into their own routine but also you play a lot of broadway shows and you have to know a ton of different styles. You have to read well. You have to play multiple instruments. Uh, and that's so much to learn. So I'm really fascinated about how you sort of compartmentalize those things to learn all of those things. I was just having a conversation with somebody today about, he's like, man, I, I feel like I have, you know, I got to learn 97 different styles and how do I learn how to do all this stuff? And what do I practice? And what do I, you know, what do I concentrate on first and things like that? So I would love to talk to you about, sort of how you practice and what your approach is for dealing with the billions of things there are to learn on the instrument. Oh, that's like a really heavy set of questions. There's a lot there. So let's, right. right. That, that was a long, that was a long question. Too. Yeah. It's, it's a great one though. And there's a lot there. So let's dissect it. So the first part of it is, you know, my practice uh, routine 
uh, now, as opposed to when I was much younger and really developing and maturing uh, uh, mentally as well as physically on the instrument. And just to just to interrupt, and I'm sorry, but I, yeah. I and I would and tell me if you agree or not. But I think that there's sort of like two phases of when you're learning an instrument. In the beginning, it's really sort of technically driven and you got to learn how to like work your limbs and you kind of got to figure out, you know, how these styles work and things like that. And then you sort of move into what I call like the second phase of that where you really start getting into the musicality and and more of the more of like the conceptual things that you learn. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And, you know, and even within that, there's different stages, I think, chapters of, sure. of those things. But yeah, that's that, that's a really good way of looking at it. Um, you know, for me in the beginning, it was, like you said, you know, s sort of finding something that I enjoyed. Um, and when we're young, you know, we, we gravitate towards bands, in my case, music like rock music or um, R&B or funk, which was a big part of my, my youth, the Ohio players, the Commodores. Um, you know, uh, all these incredible R&B acts that were out uh, was something that I loved listening to. And um, it's very different from, like, say, listening to a rock band or listening to, like, a, a, um, you know, a reggae band or uh, all these these things that I was sort of exposed to. Those were the things. First, it entered my ear because I had to hear it. Mm -hmm. and then I had to be moved to want to physically do something with that. And that started by simply just, you know, getting on the floor and playing along with, with these records. From, from that point now, we've, we've entered the first stage of that development where you like, now you've found something, now you're actually taking it and dissecting it really quickly in your brain and knowing, oh, this is the bass drum, this is the snare drum. So, it, it, you know, it's incredible how the brain works, especially as a young developing child, when you're trying to understand something where you don't have something physical to look at. If you're listening to a record, you have to imagine that in your head mm -hmm. and then put that to task, which, you know, it sounds very simple, but it's quite remarkable uh, to me. And uh, I've been through the learning process twice now in my life of playing drums. So to me, I, you know, it took on it. I, I appreciate it a lot more in that sense, and I take it less for granted. But um, so once you've gotten that to that point, you know, for me, I started to 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 uh, really um, get into what the guys were playing. And you know, when you get into bands like Led Zeppelin and uh, the Police and Yes, um, Talking Heads and yeah, Rush. Now we're getting into more complex things. There's odd meters. There's you know funky rhythms from different parts. You know like where they're very influenced by reggae music and uh, Latin music even. So um, at that point now, you know depending on what you're listening to, your maturity level uh, is is going to either grow really fast because you know you're hearing things that are beyond uh, four four and beyond just a very simple wonderful groove. Um, and for me, it started with some very complicated things. So I started breaking those things down. Fast forward to when, you know, I was already playing and uh, um, I, I was in college, you know, now I'm listening to jazz music and, and I'm playing along with records and transcribing solos. Um, uh, at that point now, you know, you've, you've developed on a different level. But um, to sort of speed through your question, uh, you know, your for me, the, the practicing of 
the preparation for a Broadway or studio thing came by way of being introduced to all the music that I was. Uh, and then jazz became a huge, um, a huge part of like the jazz was the thing that sort of opened me up to be able to play several different styles. So understanding the concept of jazz, whether I could play it well or not, was something that really opened my brain to, oh, well, there's jazz and there's modern jazz, there's bebop, there's, you know, post swing era, then there's, you know, pre swing era, all, all this stuff that we learned about in college. So, and then within that, there's the Latin tinge, you know, so when uh, uh, all these guys came in, uh, you know, and started playing Latin music, Dizzy Gillespie, John Oposo, all these people, um, now you're playing a different style. So that triggers a different part of your brain. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that prepares you. And then all of a sudden, you know, someone calls you for a, a polka gig. Wait a minute. Polka? Are you kidding me? You know, but it's true. When I was uh, young in Rochester, there were several polka gigs that I did, rockabilly gigs that I did, country gigs that I did. Um, all of that stuff opens you up. So at that point, then when you're older, you're more mature and people are calling you and paying you for your time then you start to really uh, focus on studying those things um, to, to make them actually sound correct. Because for me, uh, I had listened to so many different things that, you know, uh, I had, if you think about it in speaking fluently a language, I had a bit of an accent. So I, didn't, mm. I, I wasn't speaking any of those languages fluently. Um, and I wanted to because I really wanted to play with, with some of these wonderful people. So I studied the styles going all the way back to hand percussion stuff when it came to the Latin thing or to playing, you know, uh, Brazilian music or or Colombian music or Cuban music or Puerto Rican music. So, um, you know, Latin music is such a broad term. It's kind of a silly term because there's different styles, you know. Um, But um, I really studied quite a bit recordings. I mean, there's so many things you can do. You can go to a library and, and check out, you know, recordings, if you, you know, if, if buying the things is an issue, um, or you can buy them and then you have them for the rest of your life. You know, I mean, there's so many resources now that allow you to study really, uh, authentic and wonderful things. There's a whole number system in Nashville that I became obsessed with and thought, Oh my God, well, even if I never do it, this is really cool. I need to sort of figure this whole thing out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I was checking out some Paul Leem stuff, you know, and, 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 he explains it beautifully. So there are so many resources that all of those things were what helped prepare me for doing something like uh, Broadway. Uh, reading music is like speaking a language. You have to put the time in. It's like learning your your uh, multiplication. You know, you have to learn. You have to put the time in. And uh, in a lot of ways, it's uh, you know, there's math to it. There's history. There's some science there. And um, it's it's when you're young, it's the stuff you don't really care about, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. But fortunately for me, I had a teacher that really, you know, we had a jazz band, and <clears throat> in order to play in that band, you had to read, and um, so it was something that I really, I, I, if I wanted to be a part of it, you know, I had to really learn how to do it. And it, I was I wasn't great at it, but I worked at it and worked at it and worked at it, and I got better. And I don't think I'll ever be great at it. It's something that I'll always continue to work on. Um, as a drummer, you know, people write charts that sometimes aren't that accurate so sometimes it's better for us to just read uh, a lead sheet or a piano part or something right you know? right um 
so, you know, I, it, within all of that, I encourage, you know, my students or people that I've taught in the past that it's good for you to sit at the piano, you know, and, and, and just learn the basic things, learn your sharps and your flats and learn the different key, sig- you know, the key signatures and the circle of fifths and all that stuff. Those things can be very helpful, you know, um, and uh, I, I think that if you can if you can speak that language uh, fluently and you're, you're going to work quite a bit, you know, and, and that really prepared me for uh, for Broadway. And and then even when I was prepared, I still had to keep preparing because every show is different. Sure. I, I hope that that answered your no, question. No, 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 it, <laughs> it totally does. Is there do you have a certain structure to how you practice in terms of like, OK, you know, it's an hour day and it's, it's divided by this or. Well, um, I'll, I'll be completely frank with you. I have three kids. Mm -hmm. Um, so my practice is, um, it's something that I need to really start, uh, doing a lot more than I am right now. And, um, but you know, I would say I, I play on average, not, not work related. I play anywhere from an hour to two hours a day, but I work three hours, uh, some days six hours playing if we have two shows. Uh, So I always have three hours of very intense, high-octane playing um, eight times a week. Right. So I'm always playing the drums. There are things that I need to work on. I'm I'm, uh, really uh, in love right now with this uh, Steve Smith book that he came out with. Yeah, I just, I actually got it. I went to the, to the book release uh, at the cutting room and got a copy of it. Oh yeah, I was there. I was at that. Oh, were you? Yep. <laughs> that, was, that was great. But when he started doing the stuff with like the, the tabla and all that, I was like, no, oh, he's, a, he's so remarkable, man. Yeah. He's, he's someone that, you know, uh, because of Hamilton, I've, I've gotten to know really, really well. And he's such an incredible person and he's a huge fan of, of the shows, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, he, and he, he, uh, you know, I saw, I was just with him in Nashville and he told me, he's like, you know, we, we, we listen to the CD all the time, you know? And for me, what, what better, well, you can't get a better honor than that, you know, yeah, to have that's a guy awesome. like that. I mean, he's such an incredible musician and, uh, and his wife is lovely too. So anyway, so that book has become really great for me. It's helped my hands. Um, but again, there's, there's one the most important thing for me and uh, that I tell my Skype students that I have is that, you know, there's one word that has always sort of uh, haunted me in my life with regard to drumming because I've always, I've never quite felt that I was a drummer, you know, and, and it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, I, I you know, a lot of people tell me, well, you shouldn't go around telling people that, but I don't really care. Uh, I've, I've always felt that, you know, there's so many other incredible drummers out there. I've never felt like that drummer's drummer, you know, I've always just felt, cause I always listened to all the other instruments. I never listened to the drummer first, you know, I always checked out the trumpet player, the sax player, the guitar player, uh, and then the drummer came later and I could never quite figure out what that was, but, um, I was always sort of in tune with the melody uh, and the song structure. That was always something that really interested me, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But the word is discipline. And if you can figure out a way to make uh, friends with that word in your life, not just with, you know, your instrument, but with everything, you know, that's something that as a father, as a husband, I have, I, 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 work on that uh, mm-hmm. because there's a lot of things that that 
test that on a daily basis. You sure. Know? It's hard. So it's hard, you know. So for me, musically, uh, it, it's something that I, I, I think about uh, several times a day. You know, I, I need to be more disciplined. I need to get down there and I need to work on my hands. Uh, I need to work on my feet. You know, there's so many things to work on. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it, it's it's important if I if I could share anything with with you know your listeners is really to sort of find find that discipline in their life. You know, uh, on whatever instrument it is that they play, but in this case, you know, obviously the drums. Mm-hmm. And 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 you have to, once you do that, then you start to see the difference in the change in your playing. And, uh, and, and that affects everything else around you. You know, it's incredible how that, how that whole thing happens. Do you have suggestions on how to find that discipline? Um, I mean, you sort of have to listen to yourself in the beginning, you know, because I think a lot of times the thing that the student fears the most is the, um, uh, you know, the, the textbook things that we, that teachers have them do, which is, you know, looking at sheet music and sitting there with a metronome and playing through stick control, you know, for 20 minutes, uh, going through those pages. And then once they've adapted that, uh, then they start putting that into a groove and, and all this stuff. So those are the things that, you know, a student in the beginning, uh, has to find a way to make that fun Mm -hmm. so that their attention span can stay because, you know, the attention span thing has changed so dramatically from when I was a kid to now, you know? And I had a conversation with a guy today that was asking me about, you know, working on doubles and he was like sitting on a pad and playing doubles for an hour is boring. And I'm like, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's, it, it's so true. <laughs> but like, what, what's the alternative? I was like, you know, start to make it fun. And once you can physically play the doubles, then start playing them around the kit and playing them along with tunes. So you're still practicing doubles, but you're, at least, you know, starting to play in a musical context and, and to a click or something like that. But like, yeah, there's some, but like, it doesn't matter what you do. There's going to be parts of it that are just boring and monotonous and you just got to kind of push through those things. Yeah. And, and the, the greatest reward of that is in the end, when you start seeing how it develops, you know, and I encourage uh, folks to, to tape themselves now with GoPros and all that stuff, you know, uh, even with your iPhone, you know, get a mirror, play in front of the mirror, really check out your hands, what you're doing. And your right hand is so important as a teacher to your left hand or your left to your right, depending on which is your main hand, you know, and, and it's, it's such a incredible thing. Once a student, um, or a professional realizes that you have a great teacher in your strongest limb, that limb is going to teach your other limb so beautifully how to do what you're doing. But the only way to do it is to actually watch yourself in a mirror so that you can physically see what you're doing. But you, you know, you got to be in tune with that stuff. And by doing that, you have to sort of introduce that to a student by showing them and, and explaining to them the reward of what that would be. Um, and, and, and eventually once that light bulb goes off, it's like, then the learning process really starts to take off because mm-hmm. like, Oh, well that worked. Now, this other thing is going to work if I work as hard as that to get that, you know? Sure. Um, It's, you know, it's incredible how, uh, how hard teachers work to, to, to get their students um, to just enjoy playing the instrument because, you know, the, um, the, all the, the work that goes along with it, um, you know, like the schoolwork, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. stuff that goes with it sometimes can can make or break a student well, sure <laughs> and sure. you lose a lot of kids because the teachers sometimes you know 
doesn't know how to parlay those things into uh, into a fun exercise. Um, you know, just listening to your favorite song and playing doubles slowly, and then picking a different song that you love that's a little bit faster. You know, and mm-hmm. sometimes something as simple as that is enough to keep their attention. You know, and right. I use it for myself now, mm-hmm. and, and it helps me tremendously. So. This session is brought to you by audible.com and I use audible every single day because I'm on the go. And what audible is, is audiobooks. They take your favorite books and they convert them into audio form, just like you're listening to this podcast. You can listen to them on the go and they have over 250,000 titles, which is amazing. And you can get one of those titles 100% free if you go to audible.com forward slash drummer and just sign up for a free trial and you can download any book that you want. And I recommend The 4-Hour Workweek. That's a great book. And also Ego is the Enemy, which I think is really relevant to being a musician and things like that. So check it out, audible.com forward slash drummer and get your free audiobook today. Promark is a sponsor of the podcast and they have just released two new signature sticks. They've released the Mike Portnoy stick and they've also released the new Rich Redmond stick. Rich is a good buddy of mine, so I'm super excited about him releasing this stick. They both have what's called active grip technology. So active grip technology heats up while you're playing, so it gets a little bit tackier, so it's not slipping out of your hands. So definitely head over to Promark.com and learn more about the new Mike Portnoy stick and the new Rich Redmond signature model. Hey, don't forget about my friends DW, Gretsch, LP, all of those great brands there in Oxnard, California, and they make great products, but they're they're also a great group of people. And also, I, I've just mentioned this before, go to Oxnard and check out the factory. It's really amazing. You can go through, you can get a free tour and check out how they actually make these handmade drums here in the United States. For more information about DW, uh, head over to DW.com, but also you can learn about the tours and check out LP.com and Gretsch.com and, and all of those other sites because they got a lot of amazing things happening over there under that, that DW umbrella. So definitely check them out and let's get back into it with Andres Ferrero. So switching gears a little bit, uh, I, I want to talk about Hamilton, sort of how that gig came about for you. Uh, I mean, that's a that's a hot ticket right now, you know. Um, yeah. So how did that whole thing? I, I mean, I know that you've already you've been in the Broadway circuit for a while, and I want to talk about that as well. But but how did the Hamilton gig come about? Well, I was uh, I was out on tour with the first national tour of the Book of Mormon, and. Um, Alex Lacamoire is uh, the uh, was the MD for the first uh, Broadway show that I had, which was in the Heights, and um, he called me uh, when we were in Philadelphia and said, uh, "Listen, there's this show, you know, I, I don't know too much about it, but um, you know, uh, I'd like for you to to, to play on it. Um, would you like to do it?" and at that point, you know, I'd already been away from my family for quite some time, and um, my wife was pregnant with our third child, and I was, you know, I would have been uh, away for two years um, as it was. So, wow. So, you know, it would it didn't matter what it was, and the fact that he was calling just to be back home uh, was the greatest gift uh, for me, and um, so it could have been any show, and and he was very honest. He said, listen, you know, the show's going to be off Broadway and, um, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, with shows, you just never know, right. you know, some shows really hit 
some shows uh, kind of do well. You just never know. So mm-hmm. it, it wasn't about that. You know, it was it was the fact that he thought of me and he called me, and um, and and I was super grateful just to 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 come home. So whatever the show was going to be, it was going to be. But honestly, I had no clue what it, what it would end up being. Uh, that was the furthest thing from my mind. So uh, mm-hmm. it, and he was. You know, he I, I did a show with him uh, as well called Bring It On and with Lynn. And, um, you know, In the Heights uh, was on for four years or something like that. And then it closed and uh, Bring It On was barely on a year, less than a year. And then it closed. So, you know, the shows, uh, they, they come and they go, you know. So uh, my, my brain mindset was like, all right, I've been out on tour now. And the people that I was on tour with were fantastic, but I miss my family. So I was like, sure. okay, just go back home and whatever it is, it's going to be. And, and, uh, I'll, I'll be with them and I'll wake up with them instead of wake up in a, in a hotel. And, so, and that was so great for me. Do you prefer, do you prefer to be home or do you like back and forth? Like, do you like touring and then being home and then touring and then being home? Well, it's never been that way. Uh, I mean, I did some touring with a, a bunch of jazz, you know, with William Cepeda and Luis Bonilla and those guys. Um, I did a bunch of jazz festivals where you would go away for <clears throat> a week or two weeks um, at the most, and then you come home. But this was a, a, you know, when you're on tour with a Broadway show, you don't come home. You're mm-hmm. gone. You're out. You don't have a sub. You're you're there and you play every night, whether you're sick or not. You know. You, right. There's no sub. So. Um, it's, uh, I like being home. I I love being with my family, but you know, uh, we all have our bucket list, you know, I have Mm -hmm. a bucket list and, uh, I think, you know, one of the things, the only thing left is to do some sort of big rock arena gig kind of a thing or pop, you know, the thing we all dream of. Sure. And, uh, so that's sort of the only thing left on it. Uh, and with that comes touring and stuff. And I think, you know, for something so who like would it that, be, who would it be with? Who's, who's, who's the, the artist that you would want to do it with? Oh my God. Well, I mean, there's, there's so many, I we'd you know, we'd have to go into another <laughs> show for that. Uh, you know, uh, I love John Mayer. I love, you know, you can't have, the, that's my, I'm taking the John Mayer gig. So you, that's, can't, okay, okay. so you can't have that one. But other than that, uh, who else would you, <laughs> um, well, God, who else? Uh, in the rock world, there's there's so many people, you know. Uh, I wouldn't know where to start, man. But, yeah. you know, I love all the classic rock bands, you know, the ones that are still out there touring mm-hmm. and playing. Um, you know, I uh, I was lucky enough to, to record uh, with Fish recently. And, you know, uh, I just read about that. I'm actually a, a huge Fish fan. I've been to like 100 Fish shows, so. Yeah, it's that's amazing. I you know, and I um I I have three of the records and when I met Trey at the show it was kind of like this really embarrassing for me situation because I was on my way out to do a, a ham for ham thing and he you know, he's so he's such a nice human being. Yeah. He's such a normal guy. And I didn't have a clue who he was. And then he introduced himself as I was being pulled to go outside and, um, <laughs> so how He's does like, he, how does he introduce himself? I'm like, is he just like, Hey man, my name's Trey. Or is he like, Hey, I'm Trey. I play in a band called fish. 
Well, kind of like that. He he was like, hey man, I really, you know, I really, I've been here three times. I've seen the show through. I really love what you're doing, and you know, I just wanted to to say thanks, and you know, I really enjoy the stuff. And I was like, oh man, thank you so much. I just thought it was like some other musician that you know was there, and right. he's like, I want you to meet my wife, and um, these are you know my 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 friends, and uh, um, and this is the rest of you know my band Fish. And I just looked at him, and I th- I had to have turned like gray when he said that. <laughs> at that moment, I had to run outside to do this the last ham for ham that we would do for the for the season before you know the winter hit. And um, I'll tell you what, Nick, I was so embarrassed um, that you know I wrote him an email that night, and he wrote back, and he was like, "Oh man, I'm I'm so happy that you didn't know who I was." I mean, he's just he's such a great guy and such a a talented individual. And, um, anyway, so the, the music was, you know, uh, there was uh, a lot, the, the music that they wrote is, is really wonderful stuff. And I was really, uh, it was an honor for me to, 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 to be asked to do it. And, um, so what did you do with them? Well, uh, this is sort of the self-serving part of the interview because I'm such a big fish fan. That's why I'm asking. Right. So, you know, I, they're, they're, they haven't really talked a whole lot about it, and uh, I'll tell you a, a little bit about it. Um, I can't really say too much. Uh, there was a, another interview that I did, and you know, I, I, I'll tell you what I told those folks, which was, you know, they'd asked me to do this one piece, uh, and that that was like a very straight, legit piece, um, which was classical, a lot of classical instrumentation, um, and and it was like a huge, <laughs> like a huge percussion setup like massive nice. on one side. It was like all classical stuff, you know, like marimba, vibraphone, xylophone, concert bass drum, gong. I mean, all these beautiful textures. And on the other side, it was all the world music stuff, like the hand drums, the Latin percussion stuff from, you know, uh, por- uh, you have Puerto Rican instruments, you have you mm-hmm. know, Cuban instruments, blah, blah, blah. So, and, and it was like, they were like, you know, whatever you need, whatever you want. And one of the pieces had, music that that um that i played and the rest had none so Hmm. it was one of those things where i went in and um you know i had to sort of do where i i I feel very comfortable in the studio uh if i've never heard something uh listening to it once or just playing as you go figuring it out and it was one of those things that I just sort of did and you know it was probably one of the the more more fun experiences in the studio that I've ever had in my life Um, so where did where did you do that in New York or in New York yeah so we did in New York and because Trey I know that Trey had an apartment here I don't know if he still does he still live in New York or uh I I don't know where I don't know if he lives here or not I don't Mm -hmm. know any of that stuff but um what I know is that um you know, it started off as, hey, you know, do you want to do a, a song uh, or, or two or three? And then it ended up being, you know, the whole the whole record. Like, it was like, we want you to do the whole thing. And I was completely floored. And, and it, awesome. it was such a great experience, man. And the, the, there's such uh, great players, you know, mm-hmm. and such great guys. And um, I, I enjoyed it so much. So, you know, it was a great experience. Uh, and, and it's one of those things that this show um offers to to us you know it's something mm-hmm. that, that sort of access to yeah you know like i i met um uh i've met a bunch of like heroes there you know and, and uh dave grohl was there and he was just the coolest nice. guy ever he came down he's like hey you know let's go down and see your drums we went down and 
he uh, he played the drum set, and uh, he was just the funniest, you know, nicest person. Uh, Alex Lifeson um, uh, came, and, and you know, I, I sort of become good friends with him since then. That's and, awesome. Uh, yeah, it's great. Getty was there. I mean, it's just the list goes on and on and on. Jeez. Then you get the actors, you know, and uh, and it's 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 so special in the sense that you know those are, are dreams that are coming true um, that otherwise you know wouldn't have wouldn't have happened. So you know, I owe a lot to 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 the show, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Right. And uh, you know, in the beginning, it's interesting. In the beginning, uh, I was out on tour, and there was another drummer that was doing the show uh, off Broadway who had been. Um, had been uh, workshopping the show way before I had been because I was on out, out on tour. And um, what do you mean by workshopping the show? So when a, a Broadway show is is I because I know nothing about that world. That's why. That's why. Yes, I, I wanted to ask. I'll, ex- I'll explain. Yeah. So when a show is being developed, uh, it's all the early development stages of the show. They put together a, a, a band, and they have like the rough sketches of what the show is they have a complete show but obviously it's not finished you know mm-hmm. it's just is it like a, it's like a nashville demo session it's yeah it, <laughs> in a way in a way i think it's you know it's a little bit uh probably a little bit more com- complex because mm-hmm. there's so many different moving parts but um so you know they go and they want to get investors involved so they they workshop it so they get in, the, in a room and they play ideas and it's something that takes quite a long time so uh the the original drummer for the Book of Mormon, his name is Sean McDaniel. He's the guy that wrote the book for uh, the Book of Mormon. He's an incredibly talented uh, drummer, and so he's the guy that that was doing Hamilton while I was on tour with the Book of Mormon, doing his the book that he wrote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, so then when I came back uh, off tour, um, he had been doing the off Broadway run for. I don't remember how long. I think it had probably been about eight weeks, two months, or uh, off Broadway, and he had been workshopping it before that. Um, so when I got there, um, he went back to doing his show, and I took over the role of of of, uh, of doing that show. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, it, it's playing a show is it's a lot of work. It's a lot of preparation. I had never worked so hard. Uh, in my life to prepare for a show here were the here was my 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 friend and and my boss uh Alex, who was giving me the chance to come home and be with my family uh, I had to pay respect to him, and I also had to you know uh live up to the guy that was playing before me, who's you know a great drummer, so I really wanted to get there and 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 do my best and play my best and uh so I worked so many hours after every show I played. On tour, I went and checked into a studio and I and I rehearsed uh, with the the music that I had at the time, you know, from midnight to seven in the morning, eight in the morning sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. and I did that for, you know, probably three weeks. Could have been more than three weeks, you wow. know. I, I don't remember, but I I actually videotaped every single session that I did so hmm. that I could later make like a little you know, mini documentary to share with students or whatever, just to right. show the process of what yeah. it's like to run a show, you know? Um, so it, it's a lot of work and, uh, but you know, there's a, a lot of people involved and, and, um, and it's, it's a great thing to be a part of it, but you know, it's, it's, there's 51 songs and Jeez. it's, uh, it's like an opera. So you, you know, you're always playing. So how, how do you suggest 
for people who want to get into Broadway, is there any tips or advice that you have for that? Um, first thing you need to do is you need to join the union in your town. You know, I mean, if, if you're talking Broadway in New York, then it's the 802. Um, being a member of the union is, is super, super important. Um, there, there are a lot of things, a lot of benefits for you. Um, and once you've gotten into the union, then you have to, you know, start, uh, reaching out to the drummers and the shows and, I suggest starting with off-Broadway shows or even off-off-Broadway shows, um, you know, because those are things that are sometimes more attainable in the very beginning. And if you do well in that sense, then those folks recommend you to the other folks. But if you want to go straight for it, then you can do that as well and just reach out to the guy. I have people that reach out to me all the time that, you know, say they want to sit in the pit and they want to check out the book and all that. So, um, you know, it's 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 up to you how you choose to do it, but you have to be a member of the union in order to work uh, in Broadway. Mm -hmm. uh, so once you've gone and you sat in with those guys and, you know, if, if, if it seems like a good fit personally, you know, and they have uh, room for you, then they'll say, Hey, listen, here's the book, copy it. And you have, you know, uh, tell me how much time you need to learn the book. And uh, then, you know, you guys work that out and, then they come and they, you know, work on your drum set. Uh, they clone your drum set at home. They take a picture of it and they work on at it at, at home. And then they come to the theater and they practice on your kit um, so that, you know, they can get a feel for what your kit is. Because I have a sub that's much taller than me. Mm -hmm. And so he has to get sort of used to what my kid is going to be because I'm a little guy. So, right. um, so, you know, once that happens, then you get together with them and you go over the entire show in real time, just you and him along with the recording that they're playing. And you have to make sure that they're ready because, you know, that's like a big, it's a big step for them, but uh, an even bigger step for you that you're, you know, that you're, you're putting someone in and if it, if it crash and burns, you know, you're, <laughs> you're somewhat responsible for that. Right. So, so do you use like, do you use the same subs all the time or do you, you or not the same? sub? I mean, like from show to show, or is it like randomly people reach out to you and be like, Hey man, I want to learn this gig. You know, can I, can I learn it and sort of be considered for a sub? Uh, you know, that's a, it's a really great question. And it's something that, that's sort of been, been, uh, I've been dealing with uh, a lot, uh, in the last uh, week or so. But, um, I, I have some guys that I, that I am using for this show that I used from way back in, in the Heights, but I set out on this show, uh, to really, uh, use some new folks. Um, and, uh, it was important for me to sort of share that experience with some people that had never had the chance, uh, if they were up for it and it was something that they wanted to do. Um, so, uh, you know, my thought process was, you know, let's give, some new people a chance. And, uh, once some time goes by and I've gotten that thing out of my system and I've gotten those guys in order, then, you know, then we bring back some of the, the, the people that we've used in the past that have been wonderful and right. faithful and, and great. Your subs are, you know, they're really such an important, uh, without them, you know, it's like it's sort of impossible to, to have a successful run because you need them so much. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, I, it, it, it just, uh, it was important to get some new folks in, uh, at the get go. And then eventually, you know, we'd start bringing some, some of the usual suspects back again. Right. 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 
that no. makes sense. Yeah, I mean, but you do get a lot of folks from random places around the world that want to come and, and play or, you know, want to just sit and watch, audit you, you know, while you play. And so, it, it, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of both. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how tall are you? Uh, I, I think I'm five, seven, but dude, I'm, I'm the same height. I'm telling you, we can... uh, well, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I could, I'd slide right in there, man. That like, I kind of look like you a little bit. It would be perfect. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Um, so, so here's the, the million dollar question. How do you get a ticket for Hamilton? Um, well, you know, I think that that has has also changed um you know it's gotten i think a little bit more accessible but the sh- the show is still well sold out so you just have right. to try you have to try your luck uh on diff- on whatever the, the 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 real legal resources are that you can do it with um and uh it's not impossible you can you can try right now and you may get a ticket you know you may get a ticket that's affordable chances are uh, that you won't, um, and that if you do, there'll be it'll be quite expensive. But you know, you sort of find a date in in the future and uh, try to block that date off. That's the the way folks have done it, um, and it, it's not a quick solution, but it, right. it is a definite solution where you you'll definitely get to see it down the line. Um, My wife's parents actually saw it because, like, when Hamilton first came out, they go to the they go to Broadway shows all the time. They're like, oh, this is something new. Let's get a ticket for this. And then, and they booked it like really far in advance. And I guess they didn't realize at the time, you know, after they bought the ticket, then the show blew up and, you know, it was huge and they could have sold the tickets for like, well, more than, than they paid for it. But they went to the show. They said that it was amazing. So that's awesome. Yeah. And, and that's a, a lot of way, uh, a lot of times that's uh, what happens, you know, folks don't know what it's going to be and they book, they just like, oh, there's a new show. Let's, let's book you know, book the ticket in advance. And, and that's sort of what I heard from a lot of people, you know, that they mm-hmm. just, and, that, and they could have sold it as well if they wanted to, but you know, all those folks wanted to go see it after right. they heard the hype uh, about it. So it's awesome. Um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun, man. Well, hopefully one, one day we can get you there and, uh, you can, you can see the show and, Oh, that'd be great, man. I'd yeah, love yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So I got two more questions for you. I know we're, we're running kind of long here and I want to be cognizant of your time. Uh, so what I heard, I heard a story that like one of your first gigs, a fight broke out like during the gig. Yeah. Am Uh, I making that up? I read that somewhere, didn't I? Yeah. So, um, I, um, I started playing with the circus, uh, when I was in high school, the, the, one of the guys got sick. Uh, the drummer got sick. And so they're like, we need a guy. They were uh, performing at the uh, Rochester war Memorial which was like the big place where you like a band like Rush would go. Or mm-hmm. something like that. So it was like a big three ring circus, like uh, Ringling Brothers and Circus America. So, so um, when they told me how much it paid, I was like, man, that would be awesome. You know, I'm, I'm still in school. I could use that money. You know, of course it'd be great. I had no idea what I was getting myself into much like I did with Broadway stuff, you know, uh, it was a sub situation as well. My first thing when I was like 19 years old. So, um, but anyway, so I did this, uh, I, I show up to the, to the, uh, and there's like a book of music and, you know, I got through it. Uh, I, I was there, I think I did a week with them or something like that. 
And uh, then they asked me to go on tour with them. And, um, and I, I ended up doing that. So, you know, when I finished school, I, I took a year off and I went on tour and toured with Circus America. And uh, the MD of that uh, circus, the ringmaster and the lighting director are the, they, typically those are the three most important components of, of, of any circus, mm-hmm. uh, especially a three ring circus, because those, those are the guys that run the show essentially. Um, so the ringmaster, the music director and the lighting director were all like in a relationship with each other, separate of each other at some point along the tour uh, and they were already, they had already been on tour much before I came along. So that whole thing had existed, you know, way before me. So that it, it, by the time we got to Pennsylvania, where this whole, whole thing happened, uh, it had already escalated. Um, so yeah, the, the, the lighting director came after the, um, the ringmaster with a microphone and just started beating him with it. Um, and all I remember was seeing the, the, MD, who's the keyboard player, his his leg and his foot were just like grazing by my face as he jumped over <laughs> his keyboard to go and, and protect his lover. And um, I was just like, oh, my God, what the heck is happening? And I had to we had to keep playing. Um, so I just sort of turned around, and led the band. I just it just I I don't know what came over me, but I just turned around and did it. And I'd watched my teacher conduct so much i just you know it was all on four four so it wasn't like really tricky and um and you know we we got You're like what the hell is going on oh it was the most bizarre bizarre experience of my life man and it and it didn't just last it wasn't like one of those things where it was like five minutes but it felt like two hours it was like 45 minutes to an hour uh episode that felt like 10 days i mean it was just horrendous wow. and uh but you know we <laughs> definitely yeah one of the funniest things that has ever happened to me in my life and uh uh yeah i'll never forget that that was a special one (laughs) that's a good story yeah (laughs) all right so final question what's what's the uh what's the dream car what's your what's what's the one that you got your eye on oh well the dream car I'll, i'll probably uh i don't know that i'll ever own it but um i i would love to have a pre-A Porsche 356. Okay. Um, and uh, it, it's it's the probably one of the simplest cars ever made. Um, and but it's it's you know it's not fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's something just so uh, wonderful about the noise of the engine, the smell of the engine. I mean these aren't uh luxury cars by any means you know you it's loud it stinks um but the, the aesthetically uh, outside and inside is just a you know a dream to drive and a dream to look at you know so mm-hmm. uh i would say the pre would be great you know like uh i don't know 55 i guess would be a pre or 54 or something like that so uh who knows those cars are all you know out of my stratosphere so it's a maybe it's one it's a beautiful maybe, car though it's it's just i mean the the engineering that went into it you know if you look at it they call them bathtubs because it looks like a bathtub like yeah. an old, you know it's just a beautiful car so uh who knows man you know if, if i were to ever get one of those um one of those big rock gigs or something like that maybe it'd be a possibility who knows? i got you i like it 
I got um, mine's a uh, either a 1956 Jaguar Roadster. Oh yeah. Or newer would be a 458 Italia. Nice. For our, yeah. Yeah, man. One I or the like, other. I like the E-types, uh, the older E-types, you know, like 60s. I like the coupes, the ones that had the the, the trunk, the, the back thing that opened up. Yeah. Cars. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, I I appreciate you uh, taking all this time to chat with me, man. It was it was really get, great to get to know you, and especially, man, you're you're right up the street, so. Yeah, let's stay in touch. You know, uh, we'll uh, we'll exchange all of our personal information so we can get together. And uh, you know, at some point when things sort of uh, slow down, calm down a little bit at the show, it'd be great to have you, if uh, if nothing else, to sit in the pit, and then we can work towards getting a, a, a ticket or something like that. We don't get tickets, you know, they don't. Give right, us. right, sure. So uh, it's, uh, but we do get house seats, so we can submit for house seats and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So who knows? By then, things may have calmed down. Right. Well, I I appreciate the gesture, man. I, yeah, I really of course. Do. I really do. And uh, again, thank you for doing this. I know that the the audience was asking to have you on. I've been wanting to get you on for a while, so I'm glad we we made this made this actually happen. And uh, you're welcome anytime. So it was an honor, and I'm so grateful that you uh, you invited me, and especially with the. Uh, the pedigree of uh, people that you've had on it, it. It's quite an honor for me and I'm very grateful. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. And, uh, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, man. Thanks All so right. much. All right. See ya. See ya. Bye-bye. There you have it. Session 201 with Andres Farrell. And for everything that we talk about, you can head over to drummersresource.com forward slash session 201. All the show notes and the links to him, how you can connect with him. Also, don't forget to sign up for the giveaway, the 200th episode giveaway. I did an interview with Billy Cobham for the 200th episode. And as a thank you to the to the fans and the listeners, we're giving away a DW snare drum. We're giving away an LP cowbell, both signed by Guns N' Roses drummer Frank Ferrer. And also a bunch of other things, heads and sticks and a subscription to Drum Magazine, a bunch of different things. Head over to drummersresource.com forward slash giveaway to be entered in that. And that's about it. Until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.